Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Mind Mastery Podcast. Sorry, the Mind Master himself, Dove Baron. And the Dean of Podology and Blogonomics, Scott Patton. So congratulations. You're about to become a world-famous, best-selling author once more. Once more. Thank you. I'm, I'm uh, very excited about it. The new book is coming out. Don't read this unless you want more money. And, of course, nobody wants more money, right? That's right. And uh, you're following in the footsteps of one of the most uh, famous, prolific authors in the world, Stephen King. He puts out all these books all the time under his name. But, of course, he's got a whole building full of writers writing up these stories and writing these books, right? Really? So, wh- yeah. Did you not know that? I did not know no, that. No, he doesn't write any of his own stories anymore, I don't think. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, now, probably he'll call up and say, you know... The full head, I'm right, suing you. Right, right. <laughs> but rumor has it that he has a whole pile of ghostwriters. Right. And so, how many ghostwriters did it take for you to write your book? Uh, none. None? None. Well, I looked at the book, there are words in it. Yes, there are words in it. Uh, there were words in the other book, and uh, yes, this is the third book in 18 months, and I wrote them all. You wrote them all uh, yourself? Well, that's not true. This is the third physical book. This is the uh, sixth book in two years, three uh, PDR, um e-books and three physical books. Wow, that's amazing. Uh-huh. And so how do you do that when you're running weekend events like the amazing uh, attracting force that we just went through yeah. and soulmates for and mind... Wine, quantum uh, mind mastery, quantum soulmates, quantum life mastery, deep, the, yeah. quantum wealth mastery. You have your own clients that you work with. My own private practice. You do this world-renowned podcast every yeah, day. Yeah, but you know, that one, is, that's the big one. That's the big one. And, and a radio show. And a radio show. So, and, and you've got a, a wife, so you have to spend time with her. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> you would think. Yeah, and I get up to go to the gym. You get, get up and go to the gym. So, how do you manage to do all that? Well, I have a 29-hour day. A 29-hour day. <laughs> I traded uh, some stuff and got a 29-hour day. You're one of the lucky ones. You know, for me, it's <clears throat> I work great with deadlines, and if I have a deadline, it gets done. It gets done, and so I just find time that I wouldn't have found. And it's one of the great lies I think about being successful is is that most people say they don't have time, and most people do not. They're either poorly managed or poorly organized around the time, and I'm certainly ha- can be that. Mm-hmm. So that's not, not the, that's a great strength of mine. But I think that people um, say they're busy um, when they're doing something that's not productive. Right. So I there's an old saying, you've heard this one, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah, yeah. Right. and I think that's actually a really good point that you made, because I think that we, we are busy doing a whole pile of things that we don't need to do. Right, well, you know my quote, most people's action is merely a distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So they're just distracting themselves from actually looking at or dealing with whatever needs to be dealt with. And, you know, I've got a few favorite shows. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I've got a few favorite shows. And when there's a thing like a book to be done or a project that I'm working on, videos that I'm, you know, there's a bunch of, we have videos out right now. By the way, if you want to get the videos, you can go to don'treadthisbook.com, don'treadthisbook.com, forward slash money. And there's four videos there with three great lessons um, that are actually 
specific lessons from the book, and they're there for you for free. You can go get those. So that's another thing. So when we've got things like that, yeah. videos to be made, which take a lot of time, a lot longer than it is to watch them, right. um, and writing books or whatever it is, when those things are happening, that's the priority. Yeah. You know, I always say that discipline's a waste of time. It's, it's what you make important accounts. Yeah. One of my friends said, uh, I was talking to him once, and he said, well, the, the number one most important thing for me to accomplish today is. Yep. And then he said it, and I thought, well, yeah. When you say it that way, yeah. then you don't do anything else but that one thing. No. I, I have a similar principle. I do three things that are non-negotiable have to be done today. Yeah. Three things that have to be done. And then I usually have a bunch of other stuff that I'd like to get done. And I go, these are my, this is what I have to do, non-negotiable. These are things that I really want to get done. And these are things that it would be cool if I got them done. Right. So sometimes I'll just fiddle around and do the things that I kind of like to do. And then go, oh, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I better get on with what, what is non-negotiable. Because right. it's non-negotiable for me to even go home from the office until, until I've done my non-negotiables. Right. And these are just have to be done. So that's it. Got to be done. And the other thing I've noticed, too, is, uh, like, I'll be working on it or thinking about working on it, procrastinating on working on a website or a sales letter, right? Right. And to me, it's looking like this huge, massive mountain I've got to climb. Right. And then when I sit down and say, okay, this is going to take that first step and I get going and then I get into it and then it's usually done in an hour. Yeah. Maybe an hour and a half. Right. Right? So what I thought was this massive thing mm -hmm. <coughs> was, ah, oh, it really wasn't that massive and once you get into it and you're doing it, it doesn't take that long. I'm not saying it takes you an hour to write your book. No. But if you said, I'm going to write a half a chapter, then that might take you an hour. Right? right. So for me, it's 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 about... One of, it's one of the things I talk about in the book is about being in the flow. Yeah. So <clears throat> sometimes it takes me a while to get in the flow. And and what I use, you know, I, there's a quote that I have, and it says, um, the reading of books is not to fill you with wisdom, but to inspire you to your own wisdom. Yeah. And so what I will do in order to get in the flow <clears throat> is I might, I might, and you've, see, you've been in my office when I'm writing, and there's stacks of books all over my desk right. and I'll, I'm just flipping them open and I'm reading little paragraphs and sometimes they're not even on, my, on the subject they're on other things right. but I'm just reading little paragraphs and all I'm doing is seeding my mind yeah. Yeah. seeding my mind and then <coughs> I start writing about something that's got nothing to do as in it's not picked to be something about that and I'll write nothing more than a couple of paragraphs on anything and then I, and I have like 20 documents open way in word yeah. with all these different couple of paragraphs that are open, and then I'll go back, and I'll go, now, let me go to my, you know, I've got these chapters that I've decided I'm going to write, now, let me go back, does any of this fit into any of those chapters? Oh, yeah. And, it's, and that becomes a catalyst. Right, right. And that's how I, and that's what gets me going. Once I start on that, then the flow goes. And once the flow starts coming, I can write very fast once the flow starts happening, and um, I can get a lot done, and I, and I as does tend to happen not just for me but for most of us once I'm in that flow I lose time yeah it just, you just go yeah I have no sense of time so I'm you know I'm writing and going oh I haven't eaten in four hours okay well I probably should eat something right. well I'll just finish this paragraph right. and then another two hours go by because right. it's not a paragraph of course yeah so right. once you get in that flow it kind of comes from there it re you, when you're talking you're reminding me when I go swimming at the lake uh -huh. it's a beautiful hot sum summer day and I'm hot and I want to get in the lake and I put my foot in and I go it's cold right? right? 
and then I, you know, and then after a couple minutes, I both feet in, and then I'm up to my waist, and then it's like getting the rest of me in is the hard part. Right. But then half an hour later, I don't want to come out. Yes. It's comfortable. I'm loving it and everything else. Yeah. Right? But in the beginning, it's just. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. I think there's so much about that's such a statement about how we live. We get comfortable. I mean, you've heard me say this a million times. I talked about it so much at Attracting Force. Yeah. Is we get comfortable. The most dangerous thing you can get is comfortable. Your life really exists outside of your comfort zone. Right. And, and you're comfortable, and, and it's okay, and it's not bad, and there's nothing really to complain about, because it's comfortable. And to get to where you want to go, you've got to get into discomfort. To get into that lake, you've got to put your feet in the cold water. That's right. It's only cold to me. Yeah, exactly. At that moment. Yeah. Half an hour later. And then half an hour later, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and you, you, know, you don't want to get out. That's right. So it now is a new comfort zone. That's right. And this is the interesting thing about comfort zones. They morph. So you get out of one, you create a new one. Yeah, what happens when you get out of the water? All right. of a sudden the breeze comes by and it's cold again. Right, so <laughs> it's the same thing, right? So we've got to constantly stretch ourselves to, to grow. And I think that that's one of the things that stops people from having affluence in their life, is that they get comfortable, particularly if, you know, things like what has gone on with the recession. Mm-hmm. There are many people who took a massive hit, of course. There's still many people who are sincerely struggling and having a really hard time. However, there are other people who went through that enormous pain, have come out of it a bit, are doing okay, and they're now terrified of doing anything else. It's comfortable, we can pay the rent, we're alright, we're going to survive, and they're in survival mode. There's no affluence, there's no flow, they're never going to get to that flow, because they're now constantly focused on the history of what they went through during the recession. Right, the traumatic experience. Exactly, you got it. They're focused on the traumatic experience, so they don't move forward. Instead of going, okay, we're good here, this is great, it's comfortable, it's a lot better than it was, now what are we going to do to get ourselves to the next level? Right. You know, like I said in the book, the day they announced the recession, that wasn't the death of your dreams. But for many people it has become, and it doesn't have to be. You yeah. can go beyond that. Well, and if you look at history, they, uh, they keep telling us that there were more millionaires made in the Great Depression than any other time. Well, one of the things I talk about in the videos is... is um, since the Great Depression of 1929, there have been 14 recessions. 14. So just work it out. 1929, so 39, 49, 59, 69, 79, 89, 99, 2009. That's only eight. That's eight decades, and there's been 14. So it's almost every five years. Exactly. So almost every five years now, and every single one of them, we've been told it's a devastation, it's horrible, they're never going to come back, and every one of them has on the other side a boom. You can also track the booms. So you can get caught in this, and you can believe that this is permanent, you can believe that the economy is collapsing, or you can understand that it's something else. Now, is the economy more global than it's ever been before? Absolutely it is. Therefore, are the implications bigger than they've ever been before? Yes, it's true. However, the potential for boom is also bigger than it's ever been before. That's right. So, it's one of those things. I mean, again, I go a lot into this in the book. Um, And one of the things I want people to think about, and I I think we've even talked about on previous podcasts, is that 20% of the jobs that exist today did not exist six years ago. That's really important to realize. Because people are freaking out about the jobs going away. Well, let's just go back a bit to the steel industry. Right, okay. Do you remember when the steel industry disappeared? The steel industry disappeared. People were freaking out. 
right? The mining industry disappeared in the UK, the steel industry disappeared in the UK, the steel industry disappeared here. It still exists, but it's so minor to what it was. Right. Where did all, where did all steel workers go? Well, they were freaking out, of course. Yeah. Their jobs were gone, and there was, you know, there was unions, and there was all kinds of things, but they don't realize that those jobs change. Yes, those jobs go overseas, but there are jobs that take place here that are not going to go overseas, not for another 10, 15, well, 20 years. there are jobs here that can never go overseas. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually was up at uh, one of the universities on the weekend talking with a fellow whose job is to... I don't actually know what his job is, but he they've got these huge tanks of water, mm-hmm. tanks of fuel and everything else, and if there's a leak or there's a problem, he goes in and fixes it. Right. So the university is big enough that basically every month he goes and fixes something there. Right. right. So he never has to worry because they need somebody to fix it. It's not like it's a... You can't ship that overseas. You can't ship that overseas. And only that is, you know, it's not something that the average, you know, guy who could be a clerk at grocery store knows how to do, right? Specialized knowledge. But that's the thing that, you know, and again, you've heard me talk a lot about this and it's very much in the book. The book is really dedicated to having people tap into their their unique value set, the ability they have that no one else has. Um, Like we talked about the person who is the um, scrapbook coach. Right. right? Right. Which is a great example of it. Um, what, are your, what is your specialized knowledge that people would line up to pay for if they knew you had it, if they knew you were willing to share it? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> one of the things I talk about in there is those genius blind spots and the realization that most people uh, uh, take for granted the gifts they have and they just, they don't, they don't willing to charge them. They charge people, they charge a company to do a job they hate, that they waste a lot of time at, that the production time is probably, in a very productive company, 20%. So 20% of the time, so that's what, eight hours? If a 40-hour week, eight hours of productive time in a week. Mm-hmm. And if you were actually doing what you love, you'd produce more than 40 hours because you'd be having a ball. That's right, a productive hour. Right, and that's why you were saying to me, you know, how do I do all the things that outlined what you outlined at the beginning of the show here today? Because I do what I love. Yeah. I don't know that I'd be very productive if I, was, if I had a job I bloody hated. Yeah, well, I can tell you you wouldn't be productive at all. <laughs> no, Exactly. And actually, you know, it's interesting too because yeah, I know a lot of people that feel like they they want to tell me I want to have the security of the job. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting uh, article a couple of days ago that I was reading that I think really illustrates in my mind the security of the job. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're up in Canada and <clears throat> we have a concern that our blood supply, if you go in for surgery, is mm-hmm. pure. Because right. there's been cases where it's been tainted and people have got HIV because the blood was whatever, right. right? So, on one hand, what you have is you have people saying, go to university, get an education, you become a nurse, become a doctor, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right? So, these people go and become a nurse, and then what's happening is, is they want to take, and the, what that happens when you go to get blood is there's a nurse there who yeah. has all this training and makes sure that you're not full of AIDS or whatever, right? right? Protects the blood supply. They want to replace these with basically with clerks that have no training. Right. And so, in my mind, what happens in any corporation, because this happened to me at the grocery chain that I worked with, mm-hmm. is they look at, okay, you're making $20 an hour. How can we get that to eight? Mm-hmm. And that's the mentality of the management and the owners, because yep. it's like, well, we have 20,000 employees at 20 bucks an hour times 40 hours a week times 50 hours a, m- a year. 
gee, if we could get that down to 10 on mm -hmm. average, we would be way... We could look at all the money that would go to the bottom line and right. all this and everything else, right? So, you, of course, you have the other side of it where you have the unions that are trying to get it up and that's yep. the battle that goes on in that world, right? Of course. <clears throat> but to me, I'm thinking, well, do you want to work someplace where they always want to drop what they pay you? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to work someplace where you set what you get paid? Right. I absolutely fully agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, one of the couple of chapters in there, one of the chapters is called Your Dad's Job is Gone. Yeah. Right? And, and the, the jobs that our fathers had, which were long-term reliable jobs with a steady increase of a 5% raise every year with a view to a gold watch at the end of it and a nice retirement package, that's gone. Yeah. Mate, I'm telling you, that's gone. Even governmental jobs are no longer reliable like that. Those jobs are over. It's done. Yeah. And, and people hanging on to that are really fooling themselves. It's not, it's not, that time has passed. We've got to move on. Yeah, and it actually was a very short period of time when you think about it. Oh, right? absolutely it was. <coughs> because my grandpa, like my dad had the job you talked about. Right. Perfect. He started with nothing and he worked up this corporation and he just, and he's, his pension, he's like, he's fine. Mm -hmm. Right? For, you know, his whole life. My grandpa had a farm. Right. He, you know, I'm, I don't know how he survived when he retired. I guess he sold the farm and he lived off that money or something, right? right? But uh, he had a farm. So yep. he was working for himself, and if he didn't work, he didn't <coughs> eat. Right. It was very basic, right? Yep. You didn't eat because there was a garden. If you didn't plant the garden and get the tomatoes off the garden and the potatoes, you didn't eat. Yeah, it was basically, it was basically two generations no more yeah. that, that had that, the golden job. Right. And the weird yeah. thing is, is we think that that's the way it always was. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no, it's just like a very short period of time. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not been a reality. Yeah. And the other, the other, one of the other chapters in the book is called The PhD-Sized Lies About What It Takes to Be Successful. Mm. And one of the, in there, it's a, it's a pretty powful and controversial chapter. Because it's controversial? No, I know. It's, I know it's, I really, I know I had to stretch myself on that one. <laughs> I had an interview on Sunday, and, and she's uh, in L.A., and she was saying to me, um, um, it's not like you to be really straight up. <laughs> um, <coughs> politically correct. Yeah, that's me. Not. Um, <coughs> and one of the things I talk about in that chapter, uh, the Ph.D. size lies about what it takes to be successful, I talk about what, what I call the corporate hypnosis <coughs> And the corporate hypnosis is um, put out not just by corporations, it's put out by the media, it's put out by your parents, it's put out by the school system, it's put out across the board, and it's still being put out. And you and I are old enough to remember how big a deal it was to go to college or university yeah. after you finished high school. <laughs> yeah. If you, in certain areas, it's still a huge deal. Yeah. But you went to, if you went out, if you're in a major city, uh, um, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, back in the 70s, and you went to university and you got a, a degree, a BA or a BSc or something similar, you know, you were, you were the big cheese. You were the big cheese. You know, you were, the, you were the, something for the family to brag about. Well, it was, and it was also just expected. Yeah. And you went out and you did that. And when you came out, you had a bloody good job. There was a good job waiting for you because you went to university. Well, I know even as little as 17, 18 years ago, um, dating a girl who had a, a BA who worked on the floor in an electronics store. Everybody who worked on the floor with her, everybody who was on the sales floor with her, every single person had a BA. 
except for the manager. The manager didn't have anything. The manager had worked there since he left school. Yeah, he, he had four years head start on them. He had a four-year head start on them. That was it. They, so they all worked on the floor. So she came to me, and we have an instant discussion, and she said, you know, I think I'm going to go back to school and get a master's. And I said, why? What are you going to do with it? And she said, well, I'll have more leverage in the, in the marketplace. And that's part of this, this PhD-sized lie, is get more education. Now, let's think about this as an industry. What happens is you go to university, and it costs you 100 grand to get a degree. Yeah. Then you go back and you do a master's. So another 100 grand. Right, so you got another 100 grand. Then you have living expenses and all the rest of it because you've got no income. Yeah. Right, so you're living off your mom or your dad or, you know, you've got a part-time job and you're working your nuts off and you're, and you're trying to save and you've got, a, you've got all that going on. Plus you have a $200,000 debt. Well, at the end of it, you've got a $2,000 student debt you've got to now pay back. So are you ahead? Even if you've got a great job, how long does it take you to catch up? Well, that's what happens with doctors. Right. They come up with about half a million dollar debt. They have this great, uh, they build a practice. Eventually, 10 years after they start, they've got this great practice. But now they've got a million dollar debt that they've got to pay off. Massive debts, right? Being a hamster on a wheel. Well, exactly, and there's no way out. And there's we're not talking about not learning. No. We're talking about how you learn and what you learn. And, and, and Exactly. And so... <clears throat> What happens is, if you think about it, it's a corporate hypnosis because what it says is, if you do it, you'll get it higher up in the companies. Yeah. So the companies... You have to order. Exactly. So you get to be promoted by somebody who doesn't know you, who actually doesn't, can't truly evaluate what you do because they're not actually observing you in any steady way. Or if they are, they might not have a personality conflict with you and don't like you. So it doesn't matter how many master's degrees you've got. You're not going anywhere because I don't like you. Right. So I'm not giving you a bloody promotion. So sit in your little box, cubicle. in your cubicle box, and shut up, yeah. right, for another 10 years. So it, it's insane. Now, the only thing that it works for, there's only one industry that does well out of it. Can you think of what industry it would be? Say probably a science industry. No. no. Simple answer. Only one industry does well from promoting that you go to university, get a degree, and then go on and oh, get a master's. Ta-da! <laughs> the only industry that's doing well is the educational industry. Universities, uh, more people are going even though there's a recession because they're looking for a better job. So they're going, they're going into massive debt to get a better education. And we know universities, uh, many of them, are enormously profitable. Right. Right? So it's a, it's a fascinating lie we've been told. Now, just if you don't believe me, that's okay. You don't need to believe me. Here's, here's what I would put forward to you. Go do your research. Go look at the 50 most successful people on the planet. And find out how many of them got anything beyond a master's degree. Find out how many of them have even got a master's degree. There are people, of course, who have PhDs and Masters who are very successful, mm-hmm. who have a BA and are very successful. And there's many of them who didn't finish bloody high school. Well, I was just going to say, I don't think Steve Jobs or Bill Gates finished. University, they didn't. They no. both stopped. Yeah, they both stopped. Yep. The, uh, the other thing, too, that I think is really something, because you and I talk a lot about um, owning your own mind, mm-hmm. having your own opinion. Yep. And a friend of mine that just loves words said, think about this. University, uni, one verse, one verse, one voice, one talk, yeah. One yeah. and so this is or one path. 
Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, is that the path you want to go on? Because what one of the things I think that they're doing is training us to fit into the corporate philosophy that you and I have just spent a little while hammering, right? Exactly. It's part of the corporate hypnosis. It's part it's of the corporate hypnosis. So, it, so, in fact, what does it do? It produces sheeple. Mm-hmm. Right? People who behave like sheep. Yeah. That's what it produces. And uh, I can remember when I went to... I have a full disclosure. Yeah. I have a degree. I have a Bachelor sure. of Commerce degree yeah. from the University of Manitoba. And uh, I can remember... So what I did was I lived at home. I worked in the summer full-time. Yeah. paid my own way through university. Mm-hmm. My dad told me that if I had a problem with money, he'd help me for one term. Right. But I, he never had to. Right. Never asked me. And that gives me a certain attitude about life that's different than the guy that went and took the student loan. Yep. Or even took the scholarships. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember... Or had his parents paying for him. Or, or had his parents... Oh, I know a lot of people had the parents pay. Yep. And they, they were the ones... That, like, I was the one that was there at midnight every day studying. And yep. they were the ones that were in the bar. Yep. And they probably got better marks than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But... Uh, I can remember a prof saying to me, you know, something, I don't know how it came up, but he was, we talked about, um, I said, well, I'm working and I'm paying my way too. He said, well, didn't you get a student loan or didn't you do this or no, no. And and he thought I was insane. Sure. He thought I was crazy. He said, you should just apply for these loans and, and uh, you know, and have, and I was like, why would I do that? Because mm-hmm. I could see that. I'm going to have to spend, you know, X number of years afterwards paying this thing, paying yep. it off, yep. and I just didn't see any benefit, right? Right? Because it was, it, I mean, it's tough enough without having to start off life with a, it would have been like twenty or thirty thousand dollars. Well, for me, I think that the challenge is, and again, I, I want you to know that I'm not in any way against people going to university, because I'm all for learning. Learning is big for me, and so I'm certainly not against people going to university. What I am against is people going to university for the sake of going to university or because someone tells you you should go, which is very different than going because you have a passion. And I think it's very difficult for about 98% of the people to decide what they want to go to university for other than it's time to go. So maybe there's 2% of people who actually enter university who are absolutely impassioned with the subject they're about to study. Very many people go, and when you ask them, they don't know why they're there. They don't, you know, yeah. well, you know... I, I, this is a way for me to put off deciding what I want to do. Exactly. I'm going to get a degree, and then I'll decide what I want to do. What's your degree in? You know, political sciences. Do you have any desire to do anything that's related to that? <laughs> no. Literature. Literature. You know, uh, do you have any interest in that? Do you want to be a writer? Well, no, not really. Yeah. You know, so, so what are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're, feeding the, the, you're feeding the corporate machine. Yeah, well... My sons are at the age now where they're looking at going to university, and it's really interesting because uh, my eldest is probably going to take a lot of literature, get a BA literature courses. But he's very artistic, he's a musician, and he lo- I mean, the books that he reads, mm-hmm. like War and Peace, or you know, these, all, and not just newer, but all these old classics. Dostoevsky. Yeah, all this stuff, right? And, it's, and some of it's philosophical, some of it's just like streetcar named desire sort of stuff yeah, right? brilliant books yeah and so like I'm thinking I can see your passion for, for the arts yeah go and, and be with people who also have passion and have knowledge and learn more and get more insights and everything else great right but if he's told me well I, I want to take a business course or I want to take science <laughs> you know biology I'd be like well, you know, you know, for me, um, and I say this to everyone I advise as a young person, 
They say you should go to study. If you're going to go to university, that's great. And you know what it is you want to study. Fantastic. The only thing I would add to you, if you actually do know, if you love music and you're going to go study music, or, or you love science and you're going to go study, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, the only thing I would suggest to you, please do a business course. Take some business classes. And they all say, but I'm not interested in business. Your dad's job is gone. Whether you know it or not, you are going to be going into business. It doesn't matter if, you know, working with a young fellow, Chris, brilliant musician, really young, brilliant, outstanding musician, right? He's he's just coming out of high school. And I said, you know, you need, you know, his parents are hammering him to go to university, which he has no interest in. But he's going to go because they want him to. And he goes, what do you think? And I said, well, you can do some some um, some creative stuff while you're there, yeah. but do a business course. And he's like, well, I don't want to. And I said, you your dad's job, job is gone. Yeah. You, you need a business course because you're going to end up in business. And, the, and, and if you look at most rock bands, most rock bands disappear. They have one hit, one their album, and they disappear. Why? Because they smoked, drank, and drugged the money, because they didn't know money management. They didn't yeah. understand business. Um, you look at people like Gene Simmons of KISS, yeah. multi, multi, like, the guy is worth tons of money. Yeah. Why? Because he's a businessman first. Yeah. First. Before a showman, before a musician, he is a businessman. Everything he does is a business decision. And that's the guys who make it. That's right. So, that's really what's important. It, no, I think we got to finish. So yeah. <laughs> I just realized. So yeah, we're getting we have no passion here on this topic. No, not at all. So um, again, I want to encourage you to go to don'treadthisbook.com forward slash money. Don't read this book forward slash money. Don't read this book.com rather forward slash money. And there, you, I've put some video lessons for you. They're absolutely free. Go take a look. They're all short, but they're really powerful, punchy uh, video lessons for you. And uh, you can leave your comments and your feedback just like everyone else. And we love hearing your feedback. That's right. And I also want to do a shout-out to all of our Irish listeners. Okay. We had a few contact me and, uh, and uh, say hi. And, and, uh, top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. And it was just great having a conversation with you all. And, and I, I promised them that I would uh, say hi to them on, uh, on our next show. Well, hello there. How are you? I have a paint for you tonight. So, uh, it'll be lovely. Have a good one. So, until next time, live with courage.